Today, an indictment was unsealed. It's here. Now, that's what I call conspiracy. Volume 3. 78 of the hottest indictment charges from your favorite superstar president. And still technically not a criminal. Like, conspiracy to violate civil rights. (laughs) Conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. Obstruction of an official proceeding. And conspiracy to defraud the U.S. government. We're going to walk down to the Capitol. Collaborations with hot new artists like co-conspirator one. Let's have trial by combat. Now, volume three has the best of today's court docket topping hits. And all the charges from the classified documents case, including obstructing justice, making false statements, and of course, retaining classified information. Isn't it amazing? I have a big pile of papers. Except it is like highly confidential yeah. secret. <laughs> This is secret information. Yeah. These are the papers. Yeah. So this president, I could have been less. Now I can't. You know, but this is. Yeah. Classy. Now we have a problem. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's so yeah. cool. Dozens of incriminating and, for some insane reason, recorded tracks, such as 34 felony counts of falsifying business records in a hush money scheme. When it comes time for the financing, which will be listen, what financing? We'll have to pay you. So no, 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 no. I got no, no, no. Order now and get all these hits. Or order in a few weeks and we can squeeze in a couple more from an upcoming indictment in Georgia. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes. Now, that's what I call conspiracy. Volume 3. What's that? Volume 4? What? What? Oh, volume 4. Guys, how many of these are there? Why don't I just record all the numbers? Because this keeps happening. Uh-huh. Save us some time. <laughs> oh, I do know the feeling. I really do. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. No, that I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. I am from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast. That's heard on KPFK, 90.7 FM in L.A., 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, and 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's, AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day for you on the Internet and the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. 
come what may. And we really don't know what will come within the next hour here. We are keeping close eyes down in uh, Fulton County, Georgia. <laughs> really close eyes, which uh, could change the... Um, the fate of today's program, depending on how things go over the next hour or so. Earlier on Monday, the uh, state of Georgia uh, appeared ready to uh, file charges or had already filed charges against Donald Trump. A variety of charges, including racketeering, conspiracy, false statements, a bunch of other stuff, according to a two-page docket report that was posted to the Fulton County Court's website down in Atlanta, showing that the uh, defendant in the case was one Trump Donald John, specifically mentioned as the defendant with all of these charges. The document was dated the 14th of August. A spokesman for the DA's office said uh, that the Reuters report that there were charges filed is actually inaccurate. Beyond that, they said they could not comment as that document was taken down from the county courthouse website Oops. minutes later. Hi, Desi Some, Doyen. Hi. So somebody posted that and they should not have. Or they accidentally didn't realize that they were actually going live with it. Uh, maybe getting ready. Maybe there's already an indictment from the grand jury for Donald Trump. And now they're going through the rest of the uh, potential indictees. We don't know. We do know that the judge at the Fulton County Courthouse, Judge McBurney, has told the media that they should go get some dinner. That was about an hour or so ago. Yes. Uh, and that uh, the court would be staying open late tonight for some reason. Therefore... An indictment of Donald J. Trump, his fourth one in about as many months, could happen at any moment or it could not. It could happen after tonight's show, later tonight. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen weeks from now. We don't know, but we are on watch. If anything does break during this hour, we will be sure to let you know. So uh, with that in mind uh, and with, you know, experts and speculators and actual sources even in Georgia saying that today could be the day we will see, uh, we just don't know. So uh, instead, we are going to talk about Georgia in any event, uh, no matter what the indictment, no matter when the indictment comes in. Uh, I'm told when it does come in, by the way, it will immediately become public record after uh, the grand jury votes. If they vote in favor of an indictment, that immediately comes out. So like I say, it could happen at any time. I discussed a little bit on one of last week's broadcasts how uh, Jack Smith's recent federal indictment against Donald Trump on conspiracy charges related to – Multiple failed attempts to steal the 2020 election before, during and after the January 6, 2021 insurrection at the federal level, that that was a very narrowly ta tailored indictment meant to bring the case to trial as quickly as possible in advance of next year's presidential election, even leaving out charges for now for the six alleged co-conspirators who are described in that indictment but not named specifically by Jack Smith in the charging documents. I mentioned in talking about that that Fonnie Willis in Georgia has no such constraints. She doesn't have to necessarily hurry up with the narrowest possible case, the fewest possible uh, defendants. There could be a lot of them. 
She doesn't need to worry about going to trial and, and getting a verdict before Donald Trump potentially becomes president again and makes his indictment go away through a self-pardon or whatever, because any charges against Trump at the state level cannot be pardoned at the federal level by the president. So she's essentially able to go as, as broad as she might like, bringing charges against as many co-conspirators as she might want, whether... Uh, such a, a broad case might delay, uh, result in a delayed trial or not. It doesn't matter to her. So this could be a very large indictment. Now, I still believe that's what we will, uh, we can expect from Willis. Um, and it is what we discussed, by the way, with attorney Keith Barber last week, uh, a very broad, potentially very broad racketeering conspiracy indictment. So you can go to bradblog.com for my conversation with uh, Keith Barber to understand what distinguishes a racketeering or RICO case from a simple conspiracy case like the one that Jack Smith has brought at the federal level. So with that background, uh, as we enter a new week likely to contain a fourth felony indictment for the so far thrice indicted, indicted former president, uh, my e email inbox and Twitter and everything else was on fire when I woke up on Sunday as CNN had filed a report with the seemingly alarming headline, quote, exclusive, Georgia prosecutors have messages showing Trump's team is behind voting system breach. And I heard all kinds of uh, folks, listeners, and everyone else was uh, sending that uh, headline to me, the exclusive from CNN's Zachary Cohn and Sarah Murray begins this way, quote, Atlanta area prosecutors investigating efforts to overturn the 2020 election results in Georgia. It's OK to say steal, CNN. Uh, to overturn the 2020 election results in Georgia are in possession of text messages and emails directly connecting members of Donald Trump's legal team to the early January 2021 voting system breach in Coffee County, sources tell CNN. Now, if you listen to the broadcast uh, for any amount of time, you probably know what that voting system breach uh, that they are talking about is in January 2021. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis is expected to seek charges against more than a dozen individuals when her team presents its case before a grand jury. Several individuals involved in the voting systems breach in Coffee County are among those who may face charges in the sprawling criminal probe. CNN continues, investigators in, Georgia, in the Georgia criminal probe have long suspected the breach was not an organic effort sprung from sympathetic Trump supporters in the rural and heavily Republican Coffee County, which Trump won by nearly 70 percent of the vote. They have gathered evidence indicating it was a top-down push by Trump's team to access sensitive voting software. That, according to people familiar with the situation, says CNN. Trump allies attempted to access voting systems after the 2020 election as part of a broader push to produce evidence that could back up the former president's baseless claims of widespread fraud. While Trump's January 2021 call to Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and his effort to put forward fake slates of electors have long been considered key pillars of Willis's criminal probe, the voting system breach in Coffee County, 
quietly emerged as an area of focus for investigators roughly one year ago. Now, if again, if you listen to the broadcast, it was it didn't so quietly emerge. <laughs> no, it definitely we have did been not. <laughs> yelling and screaming about it for the past hour, trying to get people's attention, including folks at CNN. Past many hours, they uh, they write uh, since then. New evidence uh, has been uncovered about the role of Trump's attorneys, the operatives they hired, how and how the breach, as well as others like it in other key states, factored into broader plans for overturning the election. Together, the text messages and other court documents show how Trump lawyers and a group of hired operatives sought to access Coffee County's voting systems in the days before January 6, 2021, as the former president's allies continued a desperate hunt for any evidence of widespread fraud that they could use to delay certification of Joe Biden's electoral victory. Now, as noted, we have been covering that Coffee County voting system software breach in detail on both the Bradcast here and at bradblog.com for at least a year now with a number of guests, including one of our frequent guests, Marilyn Marks of the Coalition of Good Governance. They are the group that originally learned of the breach in rural Coffee County by Trump operatives. As uh, part of the coalition's years-long federal lawsuit challenging Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger's use of unverifiable, insecure touchscreen voting systems in Georgia made by Dominion and used across the entire state. That, after the same lawsuit by Marx and her nonpartisan coalition, actually resulted in that federal judge, in that case, banning the state's old unverifiable, insecure touchscreen voting systems made by a company named Diebold. And even though cybersecurity and voting systems experts strongly recommended to Raffensperger that he move to hand-marked paper ballots, Raffensperger went with the unverifiable, insecure touchscreens instead. Now, we were the first uh, broadcast outlet, to my knowledge, to share that initial phone call that was received by Marilyn Marks from an Atlanta-area bail bonds businessman, essentially confessing to the entire unlawful breach of the voting system hardware and software down in Coffee County. Hardware and software, by the way, that is used across the entire state of Georgia. So if you break into one voting system in Georgia, you've essentially broken into the entire voting system in that critical battleground state. This was an important and chilling and disturbing matter. Frequent broadcast listeners will remember that call to Marilyn Marks. Here is a piece of it. You know, I'm the guy that chartered the jet to go down to Coffee County to have them inspect all of those computers and they scanned all the equipment imaged all the hard drives they imaged the hard drives yes how in the world did you get permission to do that we basically had the entire elections committee there okay and they said we give you permission go for it the entire elections committee there is no Elections Committee. There's a board of elections down in Coffee County. There's a county commissioners, and they all apparently said, go for it. Now, since that audio was for, go for it, go look at our voting systems, do whatever you want to them. 
Since that audio was first aired on this program, and as Republican Georgia officials continued to deny that this breach down in Coffee County had happened at all, we have been continuously reporting on it and on the dangers that it poses not just to Georgia elections, but to all elections across the country, because there's more than a dozen states that have jurisdictions who use that same voting system, which has now been breached. The Washington Post would eventually run a real exclusive, unlike whatever CNN ran over the weekend, detailing security surveillance footage of the Coffee County elections, revealing the Republican operatives coming into the building, accessing the voting system for many days, beginning on January 7, 2021, one day after the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, and by the way, just two days after Georgia's critical U.S. Senate runoff election between Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock and Republican challenger Herschel Walker that same year. Nonetheless, GOP officials attempted to pretend that none of this ever happened. And yes, that includes Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and his right-hand man during the 2020 elections, a guy by the name of Gabe Sterling. He was the elections uh, director, I think was his official uh, name in Georgia. I can't recall, but he basically oversaw the entire voting system across the state. He actually appeared uh, at a forum at the Carter Center in Atlanta on April 29, 2022. So more than a year, about a year and a half after the uh, after the breach took place, denying that it ever took place. We had claims, even recently, there was people saying, we went to Coffee County, we, we imaged everything. There's no evidence of any of that. It didn't happen. Really? There's no evidence that it didn't happen. That was a year, almost a year and a half since it actually happened. Uh, now, uh, you know, remember, Sterling is seen by many people, wrongly in my opinion, along with Brad Raffensperger, as one of the good guys in this terrible story. Uh, Because, you know, Brad Raffensperger, for his part, he didn't let Donald Trump steal the 2020 election. But is it plausible that Gabe Sterling in charge of the voting system in Georgia did not know about the breach of the voting system, the unlawful breach of the voting system in Coffee County almost a year and a half after it occurred? Is that even plausible? Well, no, it is not plausible, according to the uh, Coalition for Good Governance's founder, Marilyn Marks, who tells me that Sterling had been deposed in her case months, just months before he made those comments at the Carter Center. And they played that Scott Hall video that I played you a portion of where they're saying, oh, they welcomed us in. We went and imaged everything. They played that for Gabe Sterling just months earlier. Scott Hall confessing to the breach. But back to the CNN so-called exclusive on Sunday, which as I kept reading it and, you know, I was waiting for the exclusive part. It never seemed to come. It didn't seem to have any information that hadn't already been reported on this show or at outlets like Washington Post or Atlanta Journal-Constitution or the local Atlanta NBC affiliate, 11 Alive. What what was it that CNN indicated was the exclusive part of their report? Well, text messages obtained via discovery in Marilyn Marks' Coalition for Good Governance lawsuit 
revealing Trump campaign officials confirming that they had received an invitation from Coffee County's then election director, a woman by the name of Misty Hampton, to come in and have at it. Inspect the voting systems in the rural elections office. Do anything you want with them. That apparently was the evidence that CNN relied upon to report in their headline that, quote, Trump's team was behind the voting system breach in Coffee County. But we knew that as well. In April of this year, on this program, Susan Greenhall of the nonprofit freespeechforpeople.org group She was on this program explaining that she, while working closely with the Coalition for Good Governance, had discovered testimony given under oath to the House January 6th committee that the scheme to breach the voting systems in Georgia and in several other states was hatched during that crazy Oval Office meeting that you might remember hearing about on December 18 of 2020. It was attended by Trump attorneys Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, the disgraced former national security advisor Michael Flynn, Overstock.com's former billionaire uh, owner uh, Patrick Byrne and others. They discussed issuing an executive order to have the military seize the nation's voting machines. Remember that? That crazy, they called it the most chaotic meeting ever at the White House. Instead, instead of seizing the nation's voting machines, they settled on accessing those machines through these sorts of secret breaches. And as Trump decided that night, he would also invite supporters to D.C. on January 6th for a rally that Trump promised would be wild. But at that meeting, according to testimony given to the House January 6th committee and sort of discovered by Susan Greenhall, we learn that Donald Trump, yes, had hatched this scheme with these folks in the Oval Office to breach voting systems around the country. But the fact that that plot to breach the Coffee County systems, uh, you know, was hatched with Trump himself in the Oval Office was that was known, at least by the time Susan Greenhall had discovered it in the transcripts and joined us here on the broadcast to discuss her findings. Nonetheless, on Sunday, that seemed to be an exclusive report at CNN that, well, you know, at least it helped a whole bunch of folks who hadn't heard about it, apparently, finally they heard about it, or at least they started sending the headlines to me. Some of them said, yeah, I would have known about this a year ago had they listened to the broadcast. So nonetheless... I guess it's a good thing, right? More people know about it. It might not have been an exclusive. That's okay. More people know about it. I'll take it. Uh, A week or so ago, The Guardian's Hugo Lowell in uh, Atlanta reported that computer trespass would – uh, was likely to be one of several charges brought as part of Fonnie Willis's racketeering indictment, specifically the unlawful computer trespass of voting systems in Coffee County and – potentially even in other states because of the broad way that Georgia's RICO statute is written, allowing state prosecutors to even reach into other states. One of those states could be Michigan, where, as we reported last week, several top Republican officials, including the state's failed 2022 attorney general candidate, a guy by the name of Matthew DiPerno, Several officials have already been charged with 
voting system tampering and related crimes for a very similar scheme that played out in that battleground state after 2020 with computerized voting tabulators being taken uh, by this uh, Republican cabal taken from a number of townships and unlawfully opened, reviewed, tested, tampered with by the Republicans who, along with 16 fake electors now in the state of Michigan, are now all facing felony indictments. All of which almost brings us up to today as we wait for whatever Fonnie Willis is presenting to grand jurors in Atlanta for whatever indictment may be handed up pretty much at any time now. Uh, where it's believed likely to include Coffee County, uh, the breach there, as part of the scheme by Team Trump, the failed scheme to have tried to steal the 2020 election in Georgia. But with all of that, will there also be federal charges for this broad conspiracy across multiple states to tamper with voting systems by Republicans in Georgia, in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, in Colorado, and a number of other states, as all hatched, apparently, with Donald Trump himself in the Oval Office in late 2020. Now, for thoughts on all of that and likely more, and perhaps your phone calls, if you have any questions about all this, uh, you can dial us at 818 985-5735-818-985-KPFK. But first, we're joined again today by Susan Greenhall, the longtime election integrity and transparency expert and champion who now serves as senior advisor on election security at freespeechforpeople.org. Susan Greenhall, welcome back to the broadcast. And what do you have for us today that CNN will be reporting as exclusive six months from now? <laughs> hey, Brad, nice to be back. <laughs> oh, there's there's a couple little tidbits I can think of. Uh-huh. Um, okay. Should I? Well, let me let uh, me ask you this first. Did I miss anything in that CNN report, Susan? Because was there anything that had not already been known about this part of the Georgia story that you were able to find in that report at CNN? Yeah, um, I think that the what what actually is the news news in that story. So as you very thoroughly described, um, all of this information was uncovered through the coalition for good governance and their fellow plaintiffs in the lawsuit in Georgia. Mm -hmm. That's been going on for many years now, mm -hmm. not one of the stop the steal lawsuits. It is a, uh, truly a good government lawsuit. Mm -hmm. Um, and they uncovered the fact that, uh, Sidney Powell, and the Defending the Republic PAC paid for the operatives to go into Coffee County and image all the software. Mm -hmm. um, they uncovered the fact that that was part of a multi-state plot that included contracts to go into Michigan and Nevada. They uncovered that email or sorry, that text message where they say we received a written invitation to come into Coffee County uh, yay. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That was known. All of that was known. Yep. Um, what the CNN report um, seems to the one the dot the two dots that it seems to connect is that um, to say that they know that Fonnie Willis's office is using this information in their investigation, um, which I I guess is um, that's something that they <laughs> okay. could confirm with their sources. Um, so uh, that. That appears to be the exclusive wow. there. But the yeah. rest of it, I, I agree with you. I was <laughs> scratching my head because if you've been following reporting from The Washington Post, mm -hmm. if you listen to the broadcast, 
you read Brad blog. Um, <laughs> you knew all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I also think, like I said, uh, I, I actually spoke with Marilyn a little over the weekend and he said, you know what? More people, the more the better, the more the merrier, the more people who know about this, the better if it takes a report from CNN for everybody to go, oh, my God, Donald Trump and his gang was, uh, you know, in charge of this scheme. Well, that's ultimately a good thing, right? I I agree with that to a point, but I'll tell you where I think the omission is a problem mm-hmm. is that um, – it's it's extremely significant that this very dastardly illegal scheme that seems to have been cooked up and hatched in the Oval Office with Donald Trump and his top, you know, crazy clown lieutenants like Giuliani and, and Powell um, was not uncovered by our federal law mm-hmm. enforcement, by our FBI or mm-hmm. Department of Justice or special counsel jack smith not uncovered by the georgia bureau of investigation or the georgia secretary of state as um you highlighted as well or even by local coffee county sheriffs Mm -hmm. um but by uh civil litigants from a nonprofit, and that they expended their own personal you know their their private resources to take this discovery uncover this extraordinarily important um plan that has different all sorts of different consequences um so i think that that has to be part of the story is that this we can't rely on those um investigative bodies because they're not doing an adequate job they need to we need to be pressuring them to do more and do better because who knows if there were other counties that they went into in georgia there seems Mm -hmm. to be some evidence suggesting that there might have been similar breaches in other counties. It's two and a half years later. And because that we've lacked a real robust investigation from the people that are paid to protect our our government our, you know, our, our our citizens and our government from these types of um uh illegal activities, um they haven't uncovered it. Yeah. So um that that's why I, I think um I'm really I am really glad that there's a lot of attention coming to this. I wish that there was a correction or some context added to mm-hmm. um, highlight that point of it, because um, it's an important point and problem that this was not uncovered by the law enforcement bodies whose responsibility it is to to keep tabs on this kind of stuff. And, and I would add not just that it you know lacked an investigation. Uh, it, it was actually, you know, what was it, a year and a half almost when uh, Gabe Sterling insisted that the Coffee County breach never took place, Susan. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, and and we know that he knew about it because in the Coalition for Good Governance's uh, t- testimony deposition with him, they played that same audio that we played on this show with Scott Hall saying, yeah, we went in and basically took everything. And yet yep. he goes out there and claims that people like you, Susan Greenhall, are conspiracy theorists along the exact same order as the folks uh, on Donald Trump's MAGA team who are pretending there was massive fraud in the 2024, uh, 2020 election despite zero evidence for any such massive fraud. You know, it, it's it's infuriating. It's disturbing. You're right about what we don't know. And by the way, I need to uh, I need to note that CNN referred to uh, text messages obtained 
in a civil lawsuit or something. They could not mention Coalition for Good Governance. When Coalition for Good Governance and Free Speech for People, who are, you know, bulldog uh, organizations but small groups trying to survive uh, don't get the credit for doing the work not just of the mainstream corporate media but also, as you note, of the investigators, whether it's Fonnie Willis, whether it's Jack uh, Smith on the federal level, whether it's the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. That's kind of maddening. Yeah, it actually it's a, a little bit worse because um, – <laughs> So Gabe Sterling made th- made those comments. They when this was played in the um, in the deposition when the video oh sorry the audio was played in the deposition mm-hmm. saying that they went into Coffee County and imaged everything. Um, the Georgia Secretary of State's office said, um, you know, I need my smelling salts. We, how come <laughs> you didn't tell us this before? We need to open an investigation right away. And now we can't tell the court anything about what we're doing because we've opened an investigation. But um, thanks to some intrepid reporters who tried to, through public records requests, mm-hmm. get the um, records of the opening of the investigation. That's something that they're entitled to through public records. You can't get any details of an ongoing investigation. I'm sure people have heard that kind of stuff before, mm-hmm. but you can at least get the day that they file the the opening of the investigation. Right. And so we found out that it was a full two months later that the Secretary of State's office actually opened the investigation. So, so two months after the, the breach, when the breach began on January 7, 2021, it was two months after that? No, no, no. No. no, no, no. They did nothing after that. Uh-huh. It was two months after they were they heard the audio in <laughs> the Gabe Sterling heard the audio. It was two months and that before they even even mm-hmm. opened an investigation. And then it was and that was in late. That was in April of, of 2022. Mm. Gabe Sterling came and said that came, went to the Carter Center and said, there's no evidence that this happened. Well, you haven't done any investigation. Of course, you're not going to find any evidence. Right. That's the surest way to ensure finding no evidence is do not investigate. <laughs> all they needed to do is do exactly what the Coalition for Good Governance did, which was ask for all the documents and the surveillance video which they got inside of a month and cracked the case wide open. Yep. They didn't bother to do anything in the Secretary of State's office. Um, and it's even a little bit worse than that, because if you go back to actually in the timeline to when the breach happened, that was in January of 2021, the election director who permitted the, the breach to occur um, was forced to resign afterwards mm-hmm. um, under reasons unrelated to the breach, ostensibly. Um, and the new guy that came in afterwards tried to get into the election management server and found that the password had been changed without authorization. Mm-hmm. And he contacted the Secretary of State's office and the password that was on file didn't work and everybody understood that, that was the one that it was supposed to be and nobody had authorized authorization to change it, but mm-hmm. it had been changed and they were unable to get into the server after um, this had happened. They also found a business card for Doug Logan from Cyber Ninjas, and the yep. new election director thought that was a little alarm. He used the word alarming. To remind and, people, Cyber Ninjas is the uh, group from uh, that you may recall from their crazy, insane post-election audit that went on for months and months in uh, Maricopa County, Phoenix, Arizona, and essentially found that 
claim they claim that Joe Biden actually won by more votes over Donald Trump in uh, Maricopa County than originally reported. That same guy was down there in Georgia looking right. through the, as part of this breach, which is kind of what I want to connect here, connect some of these dots, because you do this. You, you put out uh, what you sort of describe as a background briefing late last week, uh, perhaps for media folks like those at CNN to try to get caught up as we might see charges coming from uh, Fonnie Willis related to all of this, where you sort of connect the dots, um, you know, between Michigan, where I mentioned there were uh, indictments a week or two ago for the guy who ran to be Matt DiPerno, who ran to be the uh, uh, the top election of uh, top uh, law enforcement official in Michigan last year, thankfully lost. But uh, he was arrested as part of the breach in Michigan, and there are connections between the Michigan breaches and the Georgia breaches, making it clear that this was a national scheme. What are those, uh, at least the most obvious connections between the Michigan breaches and the Georgia breach in Coffee County? Yeah, so a lot of the same people who were involved in Georgia were involved in Michigan. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not a surprise because according to the records that Coalition for Good Governance uncovered, um, they were both the same people were both hired by Sidney Powell. So it all, you know, funnels or it all uh, uh, leads back up to Sidney Powell and the defending their public pack. Mm-hmm. Um, so the same people were hired. Um, Misty Hampton, who I mentioned, who was the election director in Coffee County that permitted the um, breach, facilitated it. Mm-hmm. She, after she was um, forced to resign, she got hired by... Uh, Stephanie Lambert, who is one of those attorneys that you mentioned from Michigan that was just recently indicted yes. um, about 10 days ago yep. for um, unauthorized access to voting machines in Michigan. And Stephanie Lambert is interesting because she was co-counsel to Stephanie, uh, sorry, to Sidney Powell mm-hmm. on some of those Kraken lawsuits that got tossed out of court left and right and um it resulted in sanctions for some of the attorneys involved with them because they were so frivolous and unfounded. Um, and so Misty was uh, reportedly, according to depositions from other people in this case, was traveling to Michigan to work for Stephanie and consult for her in the development of these lawsuits. And that uh, comes from other mm-hmm. depositions taken from people like um, Jeff uh, um, Lindbergh, Lindbergh and Doug yeah. Logan, Um, And they and then when Misty was asked about this in her deposition, she repeated repeatedly pled the Fifth Amendment. Um, So I think that that's a a pretty significant connection and really concerns me that we have only an individual um, county district attorney in Fulton County yep. um, looking at this from Georgia and then the attorney general and the special counsel who was appointed in in Michigan, not the not Jack Smith, but mm-hmm. their special counsel was appointed in Michigan um, who has brought the charges against the people in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, it this absolutely needs to be looked at from the overview of the nation from and to understand what these people did with this software that they've taken from the voting machines. They've took software between Georgia and Michigan. They took the software from both ES&S systems and Dominion systems mm-hmm. together. Those vendors uh, uh, count 
more than 70% of the votes in the country. And they still have copies of the, that those illegally obtained um, voting system software images. And, and, and I, there's no investigation to see how this is going to impact our elections going uh, forward. Oh, there's an investigation, but it's being done by Marilyn Marks and Susan Greenhall <laughs> and you know, occasionally uh, Bradblog.com instead of the people who ought to be absolutely alarmed and their hair on fire about this because, uh, yeah, it's not just about what happened previously, what happened in 2020. A lot of people could say, well, you know, they tried to find some evidence of fraud. They didn't find it. Oh, well, they look stupid. Maybe we'll get them arrested at some point. But, uh, you know, Brad Raffensperger, the Georgia Secretary of State, he does not seem concerned about any of this. Gabe Sterling is, you know, out there kind of lying about it happening at all. So is Raffensperger. It's unclear if Jack Smith at the federal level is uh, uh, looking at this at all. And the fact is all of the information or not all the information that they gained from cracking open these uh, voting systems in, in Coffee County can are sort of the keys to the kingdom, not just for Georgia elections, which matter to all of us, but for a lot of jurisdictions out there that use the same systems. Isn't that a concern as we head into another presidential election year that these people are out there with the the software still to this day and haven't been uh, – can be doing God knows what with it? Absolutely. And, and they're they're not being held accountable. There, so we don't know what the plan is. We do know that we've seen the software show up in sort of in disinformation presentations and and videos previously. Um, there's other more nefarious uses that the software could be um, exploited mm-hmm. for by these people. This is not open source software. This is not we're going to put the software up on the internet for everybody to see, and you know, like Google does, and and try and you know, make it better for everyone. This is a select group of people who have crossed certain legal lines and perpetrated lies about the election who are sharing it amongst their own uh, covert, you know, covertly Mm -hmm. among their own network. Um, And there's no deterrence. What we saw happen in Coffee County, if these people do not um, face any consequences, the message that is being presented is it's okay go ahead and do this you know if you can get a complicit election official go in and do whatever you want to the voting machines and nothing's going to happen to you because this crime happened on videotape there's no question about it these people are on video um going in there and, and accessing these systems improperly and if this was a corner store um you know, robbed by some kids, they Mm -hmm. would be in prison by now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that videotape could have been available to the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, immediately after this came to light in the least. Uh, It it doesn't seem to. Instead, he seems to be, even to this day, covering it up. So while we may hopefully see some accountability for some of these people involved in, uh, in the breach in Georgia and elsewhere, 
uh, there are still a lot of folks who seem to be covering it up, who are being hailed as heroes like Brad Raffensperger and Gabe Sterling. And I got it just to underscore all of this. Uh, uh, Jean uh, Dufort, a, a great a member of the Coalition for Good Governance, a great activist in um, in Georgia. She reminded us today on Twitter, uh, she says the GBI, that's the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, finally took possession of the Coffee County elections office computer. That was the one that Misty Hampton used. She, she invited all of these people in to do this. Her own office computer uh, was uh, finally taken into possession of the GBI in June of 2023. That's the month before last, for those of you keeping score at home. Two and a half years after the breach happened. Meanwhile, all of Misty Hampton's emails are gone, completely gone from the beginning of her time as the elections director there until the time she was let go under some uh, sort of made up circumstances that they, you know, said, okay, Misty, you better get out of here now before anybody asks any questions. Her personal, not her personal, but the laptop that she used, that is apparently still missing in action. No emails uh, from her account. Her laptop is gone, and the Georgia Bureau of Investigations just a month and a half ago finally got the desktop computer out of Coffee County for this breach. Seems like there's a lot of people who don't want to know what happened in Georgia, Susan Greenhall. Unfortunately, I think that's right. Yeah. Well. Yep. (laughs) I'm I'm glad you want to know. Yeah, go ahead. I'll I'll just add that the Georgia Bureau of Investigation first requested Misty Hampton's, not her desktop, but her laptop in September, according to an email we received from public records requests. Mm -hmm. And the county declined to produce it. September of what year? September of? 2022. Okay. The GBI, Georgia Bureau of Investigation, um, had put in an email that it had requested the laptop in at that point in I think it was September or October of 2022. Yep. This was a follow up email saying at that point the county had advised it was not prepared to produce it, mm-hmm. and that now they were coming back and they did want to get take possession of that laptop. Um, in in fact, so nine months later, so. Apparently, in Georgia, you can decline to provide key evidence to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation if you are just not prepared to produce it, Uh and they'll patiently wait nine months and then ask nicely again. And then they'll be told, oh, yeah, we don't know about any laptop. We don't have it. We ain't got it. Never (laughs) heard of it. What are you talking about? It's it's unbelievable. I am... um... Delighted, at least, that folks like yourself and Marilyn uh, and so forth are, uh, you know, they, they want we we ran a, a detailed investigative report at Bradblog.com within the past month or so mm-hmm. showing that the Board of Elections uh, in Coffee County in this tiny town and uh, the county commissioners, they ain't saying a word. They're not even saying they uh, ever allowed anybody in two and a half years later. They have locked down hard in Coffee County and who's telling them to do this? These are among the questions that still need to be answered. I hope 
that the rest of the media will finally begin to do a real job on this once, uh, you know, once and if Funny Willis comes out with her indictments and they if they reference computer trespass and all of that. Uh, because there is still a lot here left to be uncovered, and it shouldn't be left, frankly, uh, to Susan and Marilyn and Brad uh, when, <laughs> you know, the resources of the Secretary of State, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, or, and Jack Smith at the federal level, since this is a federal multi-state conspiracy, all of those need to be brought to bear, and the clock is ticking towards the 2024 election. So, Susan, thank you. For all you're doing, I suspect we'll be continuing to talk about this, hopefully with with good news in future days. But boy, thank you for all of the critical work that you have done uh, to bring this story to light. Well, thank you for all the work you've done, you and Desi have done to also get it out there to the public. Thanks so much. Susan Greenhall is the uh, Senior Advisor on Election Security at freespeechforpeople.org, a great organization that relies on you to keep going. Uh, freespeechforpeople.org. You can follow them on the site formerly known as Twitter at FSFP. That stands for Free Speech for People. Uh, and you can and should follow Susan there as well. She is S.E. Greenhall. Thank you so much, Susan. We'll talk soon. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, let's get to a uh, quick break. I see we've got some questions about that conversation. 818-985-5735 is our phone number. 818-985-KPFK. There's another story that I want to get to as well that is critically important. Good news that is breaking today. Uh, and so far, Desi Doyen, no sign that Fonnie Willis has uh, brought uh, the, the grand jury in her case has brought Not the indictments yet. yet. Okay. Good. We're still waiting. They got a few minutes left, and then we're out of here. Uh, all right, quick break, and we are back with more Bradcast, whatever it may be, straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad here at the Bradcast and Bradblog.com. We fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But, of course, we need your help to do it. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to make an automated monthly pledge of any amount you like or even just a one-time only contribution to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. The fight for voting rights, civil rights, and to save our planet continues. Please help us continue that fight independently over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate right now. Go ahead. Do it right now. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Welcome back. It is the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Thank you for sticking with us here. we got a few more minutes, and we do have some good news today breaking. No, it is not the Fonnie Willis indictment that we suspect will be coming <laughs> at any minute. It's uh, so far has not broken this hour. It may break tonight. It may break tomorrow. Who knows? But I think it will break. But we do have some other very good news on another story that we have been covering uh, for a long time on this show and indeed on Desi Doyen's Green News Report. That would be the uh, what Washington Post describes this afternoon as the first ruling of its kind 
nationwide, and I think it's pretty huge, a Montana state court decided on Monday in favor of young people who alleged the state violated their right to a, quote, clean and healthful environment by promoting the use of fossil fuels. The court determined that a provision in the Montana Montana Environmental Policy Act has harmed the state's environment and the young plaintiffs by preventing Montana from considering the climate impacts of energy projects. The provision is accordingly unconstitutional, according to the court in Montana. Desi Doyen, we have been reporting on this story and others like it around the country uh, for some time on the uh, Green News Report. Uh, There was questions whether this case would even be allowed to move forward to trial. It was allowed. And now apparently the young plaintiffs have won in what is a landmark uh, climate case. Yeah, this this is a pretty big deal. So uh, the important factor here is that Montana's state constitution was amended back in 1972 mm-hmm. to um, make sure that the state, it says explicitly in the constitution that the state should, quote, maintain and improve a clean and healthful environment in Montana for present and future generations. Uh, Montana is one of only a handful of U.S. states that established these clear environmental rights in its constitution. Mm-hmm for its citizens. So the judge said, yeah, well, when you look at the clear text of the Constitution in the state, it does say clean and healthful environment. And basically, the uh, Montana Republican-controlled state legislature uh, last year amended the state's laws um, regarding environmental uh, uh, development and uh, fossil fuel development. And it amended the state law to specifically ban state agencies from considering greenhouse gas emissions in environmental (laughs) reviews for new energy projects. In strict violation of what is in the, the state's, state's constitution. constitution. Yeah. And it also, the, the, the amendment to that law also prohibited local governments from even trying to encourage renewable energy. And they also increased in that law, they increased the costs uh, and, and the thresholds to be able to challenge oil, gas and coal projects in Montana in the courts. So this is really a big deal as far as this ruling is concerned. There's two basic parts of it that are important. The judge ruled first that fossil fuels are the principal cause of climate change. Now, no court has ever actually said that, mm. I don't think, in any direct terms like that. Mm-hmm. So that, I think, helps to establish that in case and law. And fossil fuels are huge, by the way, in Montana. Coal is uh, apparently Montana's home to the largest recoverable coal yeah. reserves in the nation. Yeah. And so the judge found that that law, state law that prohibits the agencies from even considering climate impacts and their decisions mm-hmm. directly violates that constitution. So I think it's a really, really big deal. It, it adds to a large to, to, the, to the number of decisions around the world. There are several, uh, I'd say, about, I think it's 2,000 cases around the world that have been brought by young people or communities against the fossil fuel industry mm-hmm. or against their own governments trying to say that we have to act on climate change and these people are responsible. But this is the only one so far in the United States mm-hmm. that has actually achieved this level. And of course, the state is going to appeal. And of course, they will. But uh, the experts are looking at this and saying that uh, people not only are people around the world watching this case, but other but judges in other states and at the federal level are watching this decision in Montana and realizing, you know what? 
a new world is possible here. There is a way to uh, fight what is going on, that young people need to be uh, healthy. They, they need their governments to look out for them in ways that the government has said that they would in their constitutions and so forth. And uh, this is just a landmark case. We could see other uh, cases like this around the country. This could make – and with this ruling by this judge, it could. We'll see. It could get overturned on appeal and so forth. But uh, this could make a huge difference in the uh, – in in these other cases around the country. Yeah, it could. I mean, we'll see. I mean, there's some question as to, you know, whether the uh, very conservative supermajority on the U.S. Supreme Court will allow many of these cases to continue. But this particular case... This is a state case. What I business know. is this, it of theirs? Uh, we'll, we'll see. You know, with the supermajority of the conservatives that they have now, who knows what kinds of things they will try to pull. But that is where that is right now. And it's a big, big deal for case law in the United States. More on that on tomorrow's broadcast, no doubt, and on our Green News Report. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my board operator today, Wendell Handy. Thank you, sir. And to my guest, Susan Greenhall of freespeechforpeople.org. And of course, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any others that we have ever done, you can download all of them for free at bradblog.com. Drop me an email if you like. I'm Bradcast at bradblog.com and on the Facebook's Mastodons and site formerly known as Twitter, I am the Brad Blog. We will see you there. Until we see you here next time, hopefully tomorrow, maybe with an indictment in Georgia, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com slash donate. Weather forecasters across the Southwest are having a hard time this summer coming up with descriptive taglines for each day's ever-rising heat. If 105 degrees is hot, what to call 110 and up? Some have quit trying, simply labeling each day again. Luckily, Joe Biden has issued bold new steps to counter the relentless climate change that's causing this extreme killer heat. For example, workers will get hazard alerts telling them that it's hot. Also, a new website will urge everyone to stay hydrated. His aides say this shows that Joe is treating climate change with, quote, the urgency it deserves. Excuse me while I have a political heat stroke. Urgency? The same day Biden launched his pathetic global warming policy, the Republican Supreme Court rubber-stamped his disastrous push for the massively polluting Mountain Valley Pipeline. This 300-mile environmental scar across two states will be like adding 26 more coal-fired power plants to our climate change crisis. Then there's his unconscionable approval this year of Willow, an oil drilling project in the Arctic that will release hundreds of millions of tons of additional greenhouse gas emissions, plus approving and subsidizing dozens of other fossil fuel boondoggles. Worse, Biden has meekly refused to take the genuinely bold step of 
declaring a climate change emergency, even as he's pushed new laws to remove the people's right to challenge corporate profiteering at the expense of climate sanity. This is Jim Hightower saying, yes, the Republicans are worse, but pointing that out is neither a policy nor good politics. Climate change is not a future problem. It is now. If Biden wonders why his approval rating is a woeful 39 percent, there it is. People want and need presidential boldness, not a hot weather website. The Hightower Radio Lowdown is made possible by you subscribers to Jim Hightower's Lowdown on Substack. Find us at jimhightower.substack.com. Hi, everybody. Juliana Forlano here from The Juliana Forlano Show on the Progressive Voices Network on TuneIn. Do you like to know what's going on in the world but don't like walking away from your news show feeling all depressed or jacked up? Do you like political humor? Then check out our show, The Juliana Forlano Show, Saturday at 11 a.m., Sunday at 9 p.m. on the Progressive Voices Network or find us at julianaforlano.com.